Hello everyone, this is Gene back on the show and thank you for tuning in back to the EcoFlow podcast. How are you doing? I know there's a resurgence of the COVID-19 pandemic in many parts of the world, including here in Malaysia from where I'm recording this episode from. Right now I'm in a sort of a lockdown, which we call a movement control order, and it frees up a little bit of my time to go through some of the older recordings I've done in the past and today I've decided to release a special interview that I did with Jason Lai alongside two of my very good friends from Japan, Kaori and Ayano, who are the co-founders of Deletes Asia, a non-profit organization that intends to unite and inspire youths across Asia. So before diving into the full interview, allow me to give you a quick intro about Jason. Jason Lai is a British orchestra conductor and currently the principal conductor at the Yongsu To Conservatory and former associate conductor of the Singapore Symphony Orchestra and Hong Kong Sinfonietta. He's been a prominent figure in Singapore's musical life, but also active internationally in giving master classes in Europe and China. Apart from that, Jason is also an integral coach, presenter, and speaker. You know, in this two hours long conversation, we touch on a lot of topics such as the story of Jason, how he became who he is today, Jason's view on finding passion, his stories with mentors, and his role as a coach and mentor to other people, his view on the power of music and art, on education, on building trust, and some of his biggest challenges in life. Jason also shared a lot of vulnerable stories and personal emotions that I find very touching and he's one of the most generous and warmest people I've interviewed so far and I personally find it very helpful and meaningful especially during this pandemic and so I hope you can find something interesting out of this conversation. So without further ado, allow me to present you Jason. Thank you, Jason, for coming on to our Leeds Asia's very first interview. And my name is Jin, and I actually met Kaori when I was studying in Japan in Waseda University. I graduated back in 2018. I'm now a yoga teacher as well as a social entrepreneur. I run some projects in the Himalayas. I am also a martial arts um, instructor. Right now, I'm back in Malaysia because of the pandemic, but I was supposed to be in India, in Northeast India right now. And fate has brought us all together here in today's <laughs> Zoom meeting. And yeah, Kauri told me that I should be the one to interview you because she said we share a lot of common values, which I'm very eager and excited to find out. And But I, I listened to your tech talk, um, TEDx talk yesterday about um, conducting your body, mind, and heart. And that was yes. really, yeah, I find thanks. that really, really um, enlightening and enjoyable. And so I think there's a lot of things that you could share with us, um, both from your life experiences and your uh, professional career. And before this, three of us have, you know, as you probably saw in the PDF that Kauri sent you came up with a few questions, but we might or might not ask all the questions depending on the time and the flow of the conversation. Some you might have answered them along the way. And 
Um, after asking all the questions, if we have enough time, then I'll open up just for free casual um, personal questions and stuff. Sure, um, I'm happy to chat. I'm always okay. happy to chat, yeah. No worries. Okay. Cool. So uh, maybe I should start with the first question since we want to dig into your story. Right. Um, Ka Kaori, you wrote the first question over there. Do you want to ask the first question? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like a casual question about your story. And um, you have so many accomplishments in your life. And then I myself is like still in the progress of becoming myself. And you're also a life coach. And so I wanted to um, ask you a little bit about your decision-making process to become Jason, who you are today. Um, yeah, back in times when you were still young and um, had so many difficulties, maybe. Um, yeah, can you share a bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, um, I mean, I, 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 my parents moved to, to the Hong Kong, uh, mm -hmm. born in Hong Kong, and they moved to UK, and I think in about 63, 65, uh, during when the time when the, the British were inviting Commonwealth countries to come and uh, move into to England, and mm -hmm. um, and you know they started they 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 had this real work ethic, this kind of working hard from scratch and just building up something, and I think that's um, I've never forgotten that. I think along the way I've been a bit lazier than them. They had no choice; they had to work to put food on the table. So I'm very much inspired by my parents. Mm. Uh, about, about what they did and, and the troubles. They didn't know English that well when they moved over. So they had to learn a culture. They had to learn a language. Um, they had to find their way. Um, and so I, I recognize how difficult that could be. And I've had the benefit of ed education, whereas they, they haven't. Mm. So um, what, growing up in UK for me was, um, was, was both wonderful and both difficult because... Um, uh, there was some racism. I remember not 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 in the early years because I think when kids when kids are kids they're very forgiving and they don't judge. It's only when they get a little bit older they begin to see a difference and they begin to voice it, and that's what happens. And that's what happens um, uh, when children see that you you see you look different, um, and you and I don't sound I didn't sound different, but I just looked different, and so people judge you very much on on what they see which is kind of an issue that we're facing globally at the moment, which is, you know. Um, so the question is, is what made me me? I, I actually was pretty much a, a normal kid. I really was a normal kid, like most kids. Uh, until about the age of 10, I didn't really discover my, my kind of goal, my aim. And that, at the age of 10, I discovered music. And that's what changed my life. But in thinking about your question, I remember... Um, I remember at junior school. So junior school for us is, is something like uh, up to the age of 10 from about the age of five, I think, six to 10, six to 10 or something. And so I remember the, the, the first year I was in that school, it wasn't streamed. Everything, everyone was equal. Mm. Then the second year I went to the top stream. You know, people that were, fit, that were um, considered intelligent or able. <laughs> And so, you know, it felt good, you know, to be there. And then when I went into the third year, I was downgraded. I was sent a letter. My parents were sent a letter. And I still remember trying to read the letter to understand what it meant. 
why did they feel that I had to move down to the B stream? And they basically said that, that um, I, I lacked a little bit of confidence and that I needed to build up my skill set in terms of reading, mathematics, etc. And they felt that this, this B stream, that the, the second stream would, would uh, give me space in which to do that. And I remember feeling shame and I remember feeling inadequate and I remember feeling as if um, uh, that I, I just wasn't good enough. I really remember feeling that. And I think that's, that was something that stayed in my mind, I think, as I've gone through life. Because in, in a way, I'm trying to prove to the world that I am good enough, in a sense. And I think when people have that um, backstory, they tend to kind of push themselves a little bit more than the people that are just praised as being wonderful, intelligent, you know, attractive, all those kind of things. Um, but I remember being going into the fourth year, I was still in the B stream. And I vowed, I said to my, I remember saying to myself, if I'm going to be in the B stream, I'm going to be the best in the B stream and I'm going to help other people. And yeah. I remember used to have, I used to finishing, deliberately finishing my work quickly so I could help others. That's not always a good thing because I, I, I made mistakes in my work because I was doing it too quickly, but I really wanted to, to, to reach out and help my classmates. And so I don't know if those sow the seeds of, of, my, of my future, of, of the future, of the life that I lead now. But I know that when music came, came into my life, there was something that I could really focus on and mm. pour my passion into. And I, I think I knew from a very early age, from, from, from when I first started music, that I, that was going to be my thing that I wanted to concentrate on. I don't know how I knew. I don't think people know these things. I think they just experience a connection to the thing that they are doing and they like that. And so they want to explore it further. And that's what happened for me. And it kind of grew and grew and grew. And I think that's, that's, um, that's what happened for me. Mm. I think you pointed out something really interesting that at a very young age, you were already thinking about not just your own personal growth, but also in helping other people. So who planted in you this value of wanting to help others? I, I actually don't know that question because, you know, when you're young, you just, you kind of don't, you don't see the world like that. You, you just kind of do what you feel is right. But I know that when my mum passed away a few years ago, there were stories um, that I heard around that time when friends gathered together to celebrate her life that she'd always helped other people. There was a story that, that, that um, people told me about how my mum would help someone. And one day someone saw her down the, along the street pushing a, 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 a mattress on a, on a shopping trolley mm -hmm. because she, she was helping a friend move a mattress from one house to the other. And so I don't know. I think he, and my father's the same. He was always helping other people. He, I think they both knew the struggle of being um, foreigners in a foreign country and that they were helping each other and I think it maybe maybe it came from that maybe maybe I saw that as a child and, and that instilled in me something that that I wanted to help other people I haven't I haven't always helped other people in the way that I could have I mean mm -hmm. um, I wish I could have done more at times and I'm trying to do that again now in my life but it, it's uh, it was definitely there in my life and maybe I felt that other people had helped me as well and I wanted to wanted to give back or maybe there was a helplessness in me that during that time in which I was downgraded in people's eyes, that there was a helplessness that I needed to overcome. 
and my what my way of overcoming that was to help others when you're helpless then you if you add help then maybe that that kind of um neutralizes that that could have been in my head i don't know mm -hmm. it makes so much sense to me yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. how you became who you are yeah maybe <laughs> thank you so much Well, as you probably see on the PDF, the second question that I wrote was about, you know, what's hidden behind your biography, but I'm thinking of rephrasing this a little bit and asking you about what's your identity um, or what you consider as your own identity, as well as you can look at this from two different perspectives. One is that, you know, what is your current identity? And another point of view that I thought of as we, as you were speaking was, you know, you, you moved to the West at a very young age. And so you're part of the third culture kit or TCK. And yeah. so how was your cultural identity? And, you know, as a, I don't know if you consider yourself a Chinese or Hong Kongese Chinese and, you know, living in the West and moving back to the East. Um, how would you look at the question of your identity as a whole? Great questions. Um, I first, like, I first like would like to address that the idea of biography, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Sure. That um, when you asked me when when I received that question on the PDF, mm. I immediately thought of how what biographies are, mm. and usually, you know, I don't know as far as conductor biographies or musician biographies that you get in programs at, in the concert hall, they're kind of a list of what your achievements have been, mm. and in a way, it's it's to persuade an audience that you're good and that you're great and that you have, that you deserve to be on that stage or you deserve to be in the public eye or you deserve um, adulation in some way. Mm -hmm. I think that's what biographies are. And often they're a list of things, of orchestras that, you're conduct that you've conducted, of pieces that you've done and of soloists that you work with. And I kind of get pretty bored of that. I don't find it very interesting. I think a biography a soul biography would be much more interesting. So for instance, how have I failed in life? What have I achieved? What could I achieve? Um, um, what, what has failed me or how, how have I failed others? I thought that, I think that would be a much more interesting biography to read if we could do that. And maybe that when, when we prepare our biographies, we should think about our soul biography <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and, see, and see how, we can affect that biography because it's it's not written in stone that's that's what that's what fascinates me so i think that ties into your to your to the identity question i think um i used to think that biography was very important and that it was set in stone and that you had to achieve otherwise uh, you couldn't list it down somewhere and now now i realize um, that that's not that's only part of the picture and that only plays into my ego and my narcissism uh, which I think I thankfully think it's they're both healthy most of the time mm -hmm. the times that I, I remember when they've been unhealthy I've lashed out at people I fought back a bit against feedback I've um, just been incensed at how someone could criticize what some my idea or something I could have done and I'm not proud of that but um, it's something I've learned from. It's definitely, if you're open to it, if you can open yourself to, to, to learning from those kind of things, again, without 
uh, with an openness. I think it can really help you grow and your biography will deepen (laughs) your, and you know, I don't, I'm not saying your biography is your identity, but when you're asked to write your biography, you, you, you definitely think about, right, your identity mm-hmm. and how it comes across in those things. For my own identity, I think it's still very much in progress. I think it's, um, I think it's, 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 um, it comes in waves, it's non-linear. It goes up and down and you discover something and you discover something that's great and you discover something that's not so good and you try and work on it. Um, so I think my own identity is tied into, it used to be tied into achievement. It used to be tied into um, how others perceive me. But now it feels like it's, it's, de- it's developing in some, in some other way. Um, especially in some, well, especially when, when you're confronted by a death of a parent and we all will be confronted by death of our parents. Um, that has really changed me. And I think the coaching course that I went on, uh, I went on that coaching course, um, which was before my mum's death, actually, uh, because I felt that my identity in the world was, was, was cha- I was starting to challenge my identity in the world. I felt disconnected. I felt somehow um, unhappy with work, even though I have no complaints about my work, or I should have no complaints about my work. Nevertheless, I started feel, feeling disconnected, unhappy, tired. And mm. that's why I, I really wanted to understand what that was about. Because it clearly wasn't the world. It was something that I was um, bringing to the world. And uh, I don't know if you can see it now, but someone, someone bought me um, this, this, uh, this slogan. I don't know if you can see it. Let me just try and get you closer. <laughs> it's a bit overexposed. It's, yeah, it's, it, I think it's in Japanese. So, so oh, you'll, yeah. so you'll oh, have to. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's really a Buddhist idea, I guess. So, so the idea is that if, if you change, the world changes with you. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Sorry, let me just plug my laptop back in. Um, <laughs> and so that, that really, um, I love that idea because... Because I think in the, in, the, in the past, I would just say, no, uh, I'm me and the world has to, has to bow down to my, to my wants and wishes. But kind of the world doesn't owe you anything, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I think the world can change if you change. So I really, I really adore that, that Buddhist saying. Um, cultural identity is another, is another thing that's um, tough, has been tough in my life. I remember trying to disown being Chinese when I was a kid because when you're picked on for looking like you you do you don't want to look like that Mm. why why would you if people are pointing it out to you all the time why would you want to be this person um mum and dad raised me as a as a as a Chinese boy in a Chinese family with with Mm. those with those Chinese values as well of working hard of um focusing on on health and wealth um, and just looking forward and just picking yourself up and getting on with it. Uh, I've, I fought that cultural identity for a while. Um, And then there was an acceptance period during my twenties and thirties that I began to get more comfortable in my skin. 
And then interestingly enough, when I moved to Singapore 10 years ago, that's when I, when I started to first live amongst Asians of, of people that looked like me or I looked like them. I didn't sound like them because I have a different accent, but, and that was really interesting. And, and I, I enjoy living in Asia and I hope to be in Asia for, for a while. I do miss things about my home, about UK, but there are certainly things that I connect to more here than I ever did there. I remember when, when Chinese New Year was celebrated here and I just thought, oh my God, it's a, such a big deal here. Mm-hmm. And at home, it's marked, it, mum marked it by just one, one dinner. That was it. And, and maybe there was some dragon dancing filmed at Chinatown in London on TV for about one minute. Here, it's a big jamboree. And of, <laughs> and of course, in China, the whole place closes down for at least a week, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that it's, been a real, it's been a real eye-opener. I've, I've discovered my cultural identity, in a way, from being in Asia. And I'm very grateful for that, because finally, it feels like it's a circle that I'm connecting, and I'm still trying to connect. And I, and I have a great interest in Buddhism now, uh, or I'm trying to understand what it is. So uh, it seems to me as if I'm embracing my cultural identity more. Mm -hmm. So before I ask my next question, I don't know, is there, would you like to ask your questions? You mean like the one I've written down in this video? Yeah, sure. You can go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, when I was, um, yeah, uh, I wrote it down it here, but today like many, young people in Asia are struggling with the problem of finding, finding something they can be passionate about. Like you're talking about the music before. Um, to those like people who are facing the difficulties, like, you know, uh, in Asian educational system, like people are very um, focused on like getting a good grade and to get a good university and so on. Like, so like some people, some young people feel like they're get lost. So, like, could you give some advice for, like, um, for those kind of young generation in Asia from your perspective? Yeah, sure. And I think it's a great question. I watched this program about um, the other week about this. Uh, I forget that there's a, there's a certain individual, there are certain types of individual in Japan who live in their room and don't leave it. There's a name for them. I forgot. Is it, what's the Chinese, what's the Japanese? Um, the Japanese term for someone who li- who stays in their room and doesn't want to leave doesn't want yeah. to leave their room. Yeah. Otaku. Yeah. Otaku or hikikomori. Yeah, and I was I was I was fascinated about why they would do that, um, and it seemed like the documentary was suggesting it was a combination of factors, not least to do with uh, some trauma that they went through in their family, but also a sense of not being good enough, of not being able to. To, to be in the world as themselves because it's they're not they their fear of not being valued and i think this is a this is a certainly a, a disease and a plague which uh, unfortunately for the for the for the younger generation is is more difficult especially with things like social media because when i was a kid we didn't have such things we mm-hmm. we, we were in in effect protected by that in a way i i never do twitter because um, you can't have a nuanced conversation on Twitter. Twitter is about you saying what you think because you think you're right. And I don't care what you think because <laughs> I, what I think is right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people, 
and I'm not just saying young people, lots of people young use Twitter, but I think it affects people like, like yourselves who are at the start of your careers that, that, that there's this kind of, well, am I, uh, can I say this? Am I good enough? If I say, if I think that I, there's a whole host of, of things that go through one's mind, even before you've started to understand your own mind or you're beginning to understand. Mm. And I think that's really tough. I'm not saying for one minute that you should cut out technology or social media, because I think as much as it hasn't helped, it has also helped. But there's a danger that with, with um, deepening mental illness in, in young people, which I believe is, is tied to uh, um, this idea that you're not good enough. I think that's a real concern. And I think also younger, the younger generation give themselves a hard time because they're expected to be fully formed after they graduate and go out there and, dis, and know exactly what they want to do in life, which is a complete fallacy. I was lucky that I found music, um, but I wasn't sure if I, would, if I was good enough to have a career in it. I certainly wasn't sure. So I think I would say to people, firstly, just be aware that... Um, that you're not expected to be fully formed. And there was this, um, there is, you read about so many people that have done well. There was this one chapter in a book, um, I forget what the book is. Um, and it said, it said, um, visit graveyards. And I was thinking that's a very odd, I think it's 50, it was something like 50 ways. Uh, mm. I forget the name. Uh, I can go find the book at the end. Um, and the first, and the, one of the chapters was about graveyards. And I was thinking, well, that's really interesting. So what's this chapter about? And the, and the writer said, go and visit graveyards because it reminds you of, of things that have failed or things that have gone. And he was talking about how we only read about success. We only read about the companies that have succeeded, that people that have done well. But think about the 10,000 companies that, that had to fold or didn't do well. And if you do that, there'll be a leveling of your expectation. That's not to say that you, 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 you will lose your hope, but expectation. I think, I think um, one has to, has to feel that expectation. What do you expect in life and what, what, what will you be given? Not everyone will have a success story, but, but the news wants to, to praise those people that have been truly successful. And the news also wants to portray how, how everyone's being mean to each other and how everyone's being negative. Whereas in fact, there's lots of good things that happen in the world on a daily basis, on a minute by second, by second basis that we simply don't hear about. Right. Mm. And I think that um, if, if young people, if, if people like yourself can actually just go into the world and just explore and see what, what you like, what, what you're attracted, what, what turns you on in, in your intellectually, um, you, you might begin to find a path forward, but it, it takes time and don't expect to be, to, to be fully formed. I know you read about, a lot, I read about a lot of people who have many, have had many careers as a nurse, mm. as a head of a fortune 500 company. And now they, they're, they're a forester or they deal with the environment, you, you have the opportunity to, to, to change what you do. You don't have to be in life and just say, well, I need to be in IT or I need to be in music. Or, you know, um, I think I'm a, I'm a clear demonstration of that, that I have, I, although I love conducting and I continue to strive to, to, to be a better conductor, I have interest in other things. And those other things inform my conducting. Mm. They don't, they don't detract, detract from them. A lot of managers or, or orchestral managers or agents may think, well, no, Jason, you need to focus only on this one thing. Well, I beg to differ. 
I think that the stuff you can learn outside of your chosen um, profession will inform the thing that you love doing as much as much as everything else. And I think we have to bring us, we have to bring us our lives to our work and play. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. a very good, like a good to hear because like for myself, like, um, I'm very curious about many things. I do this and that and so on. And I'm always thinking like, maybe like in some days they can be combined and then I can see like my, um, my professionality or something. But, uh, many adults always said to me that like you should work on like one thing. And then, yeah, otherwise you will not have any specialty in your, in your life or something. So yeah, it's, oh, I always like worried about myself, but now I kind of feel safe, safer than before. And, and also, don't forget that we don't know what jobs will be around in the next decade. Mm -hmm. Already, it's been interesting to discover that people think jobs during COVID would have vanished, certain kind of jobs. And therefore, new jobs will be created that we've not even heard of yet, that we don't even know need to exist. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's in one way, it's, it's, it's terrible for the people that have lost their job, and my heart goes out to them. But in another way, it's an exciting period in which we can, which, which we can rediscover what the new normal could be, mm -hmm. in which a new job <clears throat> could be, in which to develop our skills in different areas for all ages, whether you're 55, 65, 75, or, or 20, right? What do we need now in the world? There's a whole, there's a whole host of things that could happen. And all your skill sets could combine into a truly new category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Twitter, but I was thinking while listening about uh, LinkedIn. <clears throat> like, I feel so many people around my age are using LinkedIn to show how accomplished they are. <laughs> and I feel as if I'm forced to join one of them and I need to list up all the things that I've done, I've completed in my life. Then I was thinking, like, um, there are so many other factors about me which, like, um, constitute myself. And then I guess a very accomplished man like you standing up and say that it is not really the right, the most correct thing to do in this stage of life. I think it's very um, influential and impactful to society so i i hope in the future like when i'm in 50 or 60s or 70s like looking back on my life and say that yeah this is what i did um because jason told me to do this and then <laughs> proud of myself yeah just, I mean, I just wanted to say thank you no thank you very much it, it worked for me i'm not necessarily saying it uh, you you have to take exactly the same path mm -hmm. i mean for some people, it's necessary to get yourself out there, to get to get in this world, and then you can, and then you can kind of like consider um, what what you've what your soul biography is. But don't forget that biographies are, are constantly being written; they're not they're not set in stone. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this world, sometimes um, you have to uh, learn to play the game a little bit, and then learn to stand back from it. Because uh, I think I'd be, uh, I think I'd be naive to say that the I, I can just you know I don't have to kind of conform to any any um, 
set patterns in life. I think there are certain things that one are, are led by, but the thing, what I'm saying is that, that, that those things can lead you into something that then you can discover your own path. Mm. And I've been led by things that I've had to, that I felt I've had to do. And then suddenly things have taken a turn. So, um, yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could completely forego being on a LinkedIn. I'm, I'm sure that you can live a great life without being on LinkedIn as well. But it's interesting to, like you say, to see people and see what they've written about themselves on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. That's also, be, be curious. Curiosity is a huge thing that I've, that I've learned in life that um, uh, yields a lot of interesting things. So Jason, I think what you just said is really interesting and it's also a good time to segue into the second part of the interview, which we want, uh, you were thinking of talking about education yeah. and you spoke about, um, you know, about it's not that important to, to know what you really want to pursue in life um, or, you know, to not live up to the expectations of other people, but rather to explore it as you go along in life. And for you yourself, someone who's found a, your passion from a very young age and pursue it and achieve success. Um, I was wondering, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your education and the way I would like to, to phrase this is, I've written down here the 80-20 rule, you know, like what is 20% of your formal or informal education that contributes to 80% of your success. And maybe you can also talk about your definition of education as well as um, your ideal form of education, because you mentioned that, and which I truly agree that education today is, um, I personally felt is a bit outdated because it, it's created back in the industrial revolution when people are expected to specialize in just one area so that they can become workers for a factory or for um, certain few. But today, you know, we've seen how the world has changed so fast and um, um, the world truly needs more um, a jack of all trades, people who can, can do different kinds of things and integrate them together. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe you can go into your definition of education and your own education as well as your ideal form of a future education. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Education is 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 um, education is key to a to to I think people say to a brighter future. I'd say it's a key to understanding yourself, and so you can actually begin to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and education doesn't mean maths and, and science and English education can come in all forms um, I think I think it's very restrictive that 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 we that we that we consider just learning maths and English at school is is so important and the, the be all and end all of future uh, success um, let me, I think in an ideal world, if I was, if, if I had, if I could have a, a school or if I designed a, a program, I would get away. I would just, I would, um, abandon grades mm-hmm. or if everyone, if I had to give grades, I'd just give everyone an A. Um, and then, and then they'd, they'd have to strive for that A 
in some way? Why do they deserve that A, right? Rather than saying, oh, no, you've got a C. Um, I would also, um, the, uh, the Dalai Lama in one of his lectures said that if he was uh, uh, reorganizing education, he would, he would insist that ethics were taught at school. And I wholeheartedly agree with him. Mm-hmm. Ethics and morals. What what is the right thing to do? Or what do you consider is the right thing to do? Um, you know, what is morality? How can you how can you exist as as a just or good person in this world? I think that's so important that people tend to tend to overlook. And it's about hitting targets. It's about getting somewhere. It's about achieving something. And if you're not at that level, then you're considered a failure. And I think that's a terrible thing to to put upon someone of a tender age <laughs> some people would argue certain cultures would argue well you've got to be it's 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 a jungle out there and you've got to you've got to be strong and if you can't if you can't uh, be strong at this age then you're going to fail in life well i i don't i don't consider that to be true i think when you're um when you're younger you need to have the 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 ability to explore explore things and you need to feel safe in that territory and if you're constantly threatened by your parents wanting you to have great grades then where are you you're just a learning robot you're not learning anything really you're learning how to um, regurgitate facts mm-hmm. and so i think learning needs to be at everyone's pace i think um get rid of grades i think learn ethics and morals just as much as, as you learn you have a need to learn uh, maths and English, but also learn skills that help you in life. Um, I, I thought about your question. And I thought, well, where would we be if we didn't do maths and English? Because because the, the geniuses in the world, were, they surely they would have had to understand that they had an inkling at school to know that they were going to design great inventions one day. I, I believe that genius will just show itself. It it doesn't matter if you put a, a genius in a in a in a school that doesn't that you know in any school they will just somehow create themselves but for a vast majority of us we don't we we, i'm not saying that that we don't we don't possess that ability to invent and inspire but maybe in a different way and so we all have different skill sets and all have different strengths and so i think a a great school would, would celebrate that and not tie everyone having to be at certain standard at certain age in their life i think that's what disrupts and actually sometimes destroys people i think i'm just trying to think what else did i um yeah and i I would also um pay teachers much 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 more because and i think a lot of people have a lot of parents have posted online during covid oh my gosh i now know how difficult teachers find it and God bless you, teachers. And I think that's really very interesting because teaching requires a passion and dedication. And I think that, that teachers just aren't paid enough. Mm. And they deserve to be celebrated and they, and they deserve to um, um, be thanked for how they've helped our children or the children. Yeah. Um, my education came i was i was pretty much in a normal in normal schools from a very early age good schools um 
that had a wide range of activity, both physical and intellectual and arts, arts-based. Another thing that I'd say about a school, if I would set up, is that arts would be involved more, not less. Mm-hmm. There tends to be in countries at the moment a removal of arts from the syllabus. I would add more, not less. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a question about culture and arts later, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll seek to to you know give you my opinion on that. Um, and so I, I was in good schools, and then eventually I, I went to a, a music school. I auditioned and went to a music school a special, they call it a specialist music school. It wasn't about what background you were from. It was just purely about if you could play an instrument well, come and we will, in, we will help to build up your, your ability and we will hope to inspire you to become a musician. And that was a very, very special time in my life. The three years I spent there were some of the best years of my life. Um, lots of things I learned about music, but also about because it was a boarding school, I actually learned a lot about myself and about interacting with other people. So from a social skill, it was also a very interesting part of my life. Mm-hmm. But from a music point of view, it was, it was, it was for me, breathtaking, you know. Um, then from there, I went to university and didn't have, didn't have such a great time. I went to Oxford University. That wasn't the university's fault. It was my fault. Well, not my fault. It was my trying to find myself during an awkward time of my life, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. I didn't feel I fitted in. And then the imposter syndrome came back to me. The imposter syndrome has haunted me throughout my life. And I think it haunts a lot of people that they think that they, they actually don't deserve to be somewhere because, because they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So that was a tough time for me. So, um, I would always say a sense of curiosity has helped in my, the 20% is the curiosity, the curiosity to find out about J.S. Bach and about Haydn and about Beethoven. No one, no one led me to that. I had to do that myself. I didn't know who to turn to. And so I did that myself. Um, Another important thing I'd say in education is, is ask for advice, is seek wisdom. Don't be afraid to do that. I was afraid to do that. I think maybe because I just felt that people uh, had no time for me mm-hmm. or because I was Chinese, they probably wouldn't like me asking them questions. Um, but, but seek wisdom, seek mentors, I'd say, definitely. So curiosity, I would say, to the 20% is curiosity has given me 80%, has given me the 80%. Mm-hmm. Very cool. <laughs> You just touch on the, the a quick topic on on mentor, which is which could be elaborated on a on a greater scale. I was wondering if you could maybe share some stories of your mentors in life, because you're now um, quite a a mentor to many people as a coach and as a conductor. So maybe you could share with us a little bit about your own mentors and um, how they've inspired you in life. I think part of my sadness is that I, I didn't feel there, the arrogance in me felt like I didn't need a mentor mm. or the arrogance in me didn't felt like I knew it all. And I think maybe along the way, the, the, the sense of curiosity turned into something that, that was, that, that um, fed my ego and my narcissism. I'm not saying, I'm not saying for instance, for, for, for a moment that to stop being curious, I'm saying that's how it felt for me. It turned into something. And I remember, um, 
um, this is a book by Suzuki, it's The Beginner's Mind. Mm-hmm. And the first line is, is um, you know, a beginner's mind has possibility, whereas uh, an expert's mind has has less possibility. I'm I'm, I'm not remembering it so elegantly, but but I I, I really uh, am fascinated by that, and I think I I I for most of my life pretended I had an expert's mind, and so there be, there began to be less uh, possibility. I mean, don't get don't get me wrong. I have sought advice from 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 people such as there was this one conductor called Sir Colin Davis who who now unfortunately has passed away and he was a, he was a wonderful warm human being and he told me that as an as a young man he was deeply arrogant and felt that he knew it all and he and he came from a time in 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 life in England the 19 um i think during the 1950s 50s and 60s there was that real totalitarian approach to conducting that what I say goes, don't argue with me. And that's, 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 you, you need to, you need to listen to what I'm saying. And it was very interesting that he said that he absolutely looked back in on those periods of, of his life with horror. This was when I was talking to him when he was six, uh, late sixties, seventies. He said he looked back on that and that, on his, his early part of life with horror, but he felt that he thought that was the only way that he, he could have behaved because everyone else was doing that. So he should do that. He didn't question it. And I remember, I remember saying to him one time, we were talking about how to conduct a certain a bit of music. And there's, there's a symphony uh, that Brahms wrote, symphony number one. And then the last movement after the slow introduction, the fourth movement, there's a slow introduction and, and, the, and then a beautiful slow theme unfolds, kind of like the Ode to Joy theme in Beethoven, Ninth Symphony. And he was asking me how I, how I would conduct it. And, um, and I, w- I suggested moving in a certain way and being very complicated and trying to be uh, a leader. And then, and then he kind of said, um, he said, mm, in, his, in his very British, he was, he was truly a British gentleman. And he said, oh, my dear boy, uh, why would you be so busy in this? Why don't you just let it unfold and just move like this? And he showed me a, he showed me a way of just moving gently. And I remember my response to him. I said, yeah, but you're, but you're, you're Sir Colin Davis. They will do anything for you. Uh, when you move like that, it'll work for you. When, when I move like me, it will work for me. And he, he looked at me as if maybe never, no one had ever said that to him before. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, um, he kind of, he, he actually did, he, he just looked at me and he kind of went, well, why don't you try it? He didn't, he didn't push back. And I realized many, many years later, he was absolutely right. It's not, it's not that he was the Colin Davis. It was that he was showing the soul of the music and demonstrating it through gesture. And that's what matters. N- none of, none of all this, um, none of this business about, about being certain someone or trying to be, trying to be uh, someone. Just the more important thing is to concentrate on the music. So for me, he was a great mentor in that way. Um, and, th- and there will be, I've never really, I, 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 I agree with the fact that, that some, you need mentors in life and then, and then you need to let go of them and you need to find the next stage. And unfortunately, I, I, I didn't believe that I needed mentors throughout my life. But now I realize it's so very important because um, I think as, a, as when, when you, 
there's a there's a wise saying there's an old saying that goes if you don't share your wisdom then it rots and i really believe that i think um what little wisdom i have now i'm i'm very happy to share because if i don't share it 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 will disappear and rot and i think that, that great mentors can can and really um, are able to share exactly what they've been through at that stage in life. Because I think as you, every day you grow, there's a new lesson in life, right? So I, I think that, I think having mentors is, is, is really, really, really important. And I was listening on a podcast about, about the, the mentor. Uh, mentor was actually a person in, in, me, in, in um, mythology that I think um, helped um, the son of Ulysses find his father i think that's the story i might have got that wrong but so so basically he he's 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 upset that his father has has been away for so long and he wants to go and find him or he doesn't know what to do and he meets mentor while walking along a beach or by the water and i think mentor says to him well have you have you voiced what what you um want to say and what you what you feel is important in life and and he goes he goes away and considers mentor's advice and actually then goes away and and speaks to people speaks to uh, speaks to um, a, a lot of politicians and he finds a way forward he finds he 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 finds his path and I think that's that's a, an inspiration that that um, a men, mentors in in life can help you find your path forward or at least point you in this point you in a certain direction and then you can explore that path and you may not like that path or you may think that path's not the one that you need so to answer your question i forgot the question the question is about mentors right yeah yeah, yeah. You, you definitely did <laughs> yeah. but um so you just shared your your own education and then you shared some of your mentors and i was thinking before um before I invite Kari to ask you the question about the power of music, I would just want to ask you one more question about you yourself as a mentor at this moment of life, because now you're a coach to many people. And can you maybe tell us more about your role as a coach and what do you do as well as um, how do you help your mentees find their purpose in life or, or their work? in achieving success accomplishments yeah hmm. right so i love doing things like this as as a mentor to, to younger people i love having these conversations these chit chats these q and a's mm -hmm. um because it it gets me to think deeply about um my own life my my failures my successes how i've got through things resilience so I really enjoy that. So mentoring for me is a two-way process. Mm -hmm. You asking me these questions helps me mentor myself as well <laughs> as share some kind of wisdom. Um, as a coach, um, I think everyone would benefit from being in a room with a stranger and just being able to talk about whatever they wanted for an hour a week or an hour every two weeks. And that's, that's what a coach is is therefore coaches don't and there are there are many different types of coaching i do developmental coaching integral coaching um coaches don't give you answers they don't tell they don't try and fix solutions that's not what we're about 
we, we try and just ask you to, to look deeply within yourself and try to understand what may or may not be holding you back. And often the issue, the, an issue that a client brings is not really the issue you coach on because it runs far deeper than that. The, the presenting issue just scratches the surface. So it could be about um, not being able to fulfill your, your uh, not, be, not being able to get a promotion at work and you're feeling frustrated about that. So through many conversations, you might discover that, that the person has a need to um, demonstrate to the world that they're successful. And then you begin to actually explore why they feel that they have that need. What is it about that? And it's not to say that, that by the end of the sessions, you'll have solved everything and then they, they, they won't want to go for that promotion. By the end of the sessions, they could actually um, go for that promotion, but in a way that is, has a deeper truth for them. Mm-hmm. They want to help others by getting that promotion or they want to lead in a way that they think is missing in the organization. So it's, it's not about, it's not about uh, removing it. Uh, it, it. It's not, it's not like saying, Oh, well, you won't want to look for a promotion after this. You may not, you may want to leave the, you may want to leave the company after having coaching who knows, right? The fact is you don't know, you don't know until you explore deeper down what's going on. And often we have childhood um, trauma or, or difficulties in childhood that, that need attention or need seeing. Um, we've had things, we've had regrets, we've had guilt. We've had, we have to deal with our, the, the voice in our heads, which, which is the, the super ego or the inner critic. Mm-hmm. I think a coach can help, help you with your blind spots as much as anything. I know that I've benefited from being coached. And I find it extraordinary when I sit in front of a, a client a coachy, I feel so um, honored that they've shared their story with me because it's a, it's a very deep and personal story and it, and it, and it unfolds in, 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 with time. Uh, you'll never, I, I try now to see um, my clients for a minimum of six to 12 months. It won't be done in three sessions. There's a lot of things that need to be explored and, um, seen and heard because maybe they don't feel seen and heard. Mm-hmm. So I find, I find um, stories, these stories that they share with me are amazing, deeply amazing. Some of them are very tragic. Some of them are very inspiring, but they all have inherent value and they show me the value of the person sitting in front of me as well. Cause I think we forget that we are value itself right? We, we are value itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very easy to forget that because mm-hmm. of daily life and struggles and um, the feeling of, of that the world may be falling apart at this time. You know, how can we bring ourselves to be part of what's going on? How, 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 how is our value given to the world? I think that's important to consider. Mm-hmm. But I, I find coaching and mentoring extremely rewarding because it's a two-way process. I learn so much. Thank you, Jason. Kari? I'm too moved to move on. <laughs> Every question. Yeah, it's a real 
a little bit connected to what you have talked right now. But my next question was about um, the power of music. I wrote it down because I myself came from um, visual arts backgrounds. Mm. Um, until I graduated from high school, I was going to uh, art university actually. But then I decided not to because I went to America as an exchange student for one year and that experience made me think that I need to do something in the in journalism world. So that's how I chose my school and here I am. But um, I sometimes regret that I didn't dig into a field and then didn't become an artist. But then at the same time, I feel, um, well, like if I continue to aspire to be um, a journalist, maybe I can use the spirit, use the soul of the arts into my profession and inspire people and demonstrate what I'm thinking and stuff. And then, um, so during this time of COVID-19, uh, so many artists are losing their jobs and incomes, and it's been always debated whether or not um, we really need arts in our lives. And then um, our current administration, um, I mean, <laughs> the government is not really appreciating the power of music or the arts in general, and they don't give away the financial support and um, there are so many petitions signed and submitted as well. And for me, I feel it's not even a question whether or not we need uh, arts in our lives because it's the most essential thing in me, at least. Um, so I was wondering what you as an artist, as a musician, feel about the power of arts in our society and how it can um, inspire people to live their lives. But yeah, I think they, you already answered some of um, these questions. So um, I just wanted to hear about what you feel about an artist by profession. If it's making sense. Sorry, no, it's, 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 it's a wonderful question and an important question. I think, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting that under COVID, what have people been doing? Well, we've been reading, we've been watching TV, we've been watching films, uh, we've been painting, we've been playing music. What, what are all these things? Well, they're the arts. Mm. I think that it's, it's been pretty amazing that, that, for people to understand well i hope that they understand that every netflix documentary they watch has is led by a team of dedicated camera people editors directors every film they watch has actors in and what what are all these people involved in well they're involved in the in the arts so arts has brought real comfort to people during this time and i think people shouldn't forget that or they mustn't forget that and you mentioned about arts and the soul. I think simply put, arts and culture feed the soul. Mm. And I think that, you know, in our busy lives, when we've fed the kids, when we've done, we've done our emails, when we've 
gone out and worked and come back and we've paid the gas bill. What else is there? Well, all the other spaces uh, can be filled with arts and culture and soul. I think that's what's important in life. And I think people forget that, that, that they take it for granted that people write stories and journalists like yourself research and painstakingly research something and produce something. I think they forget that. It's so easy. It's like when you go to a concert and you see on stage people pl playing beautifully. Well, they've rehearsed. And not only have they've rehearsed, they've played that instrument for all their lives since the age of three. That takes dedication, commitment, and passion. A commitment and dedication and passion to the arts every single day of their lives. So I think people underestimate, and, and it's very easy in this world of, of rationality, of, of, of hunger for power and for, music, uh, for money. Mm. That was a Freudian slip there, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> hunger for power and, and um, money, how uh, we forget that we need to be sustained in, other, in, in a more important way with soul. And I think that you can access that through, through arts, arts and culture. I, I've never been... I must admit, I've never been a fan of poetry. I never understood it. <laughs> Only recently have I understood the incredible beauty and importance of poetry to say what is, is, is not being able to be said in the world. Mm -hmm. In one line, you can encompass a whole generation in one beautifully expressed. I, I'm not able to, to produce poetry of that skill, but I enjoy reading it. And it's helped me understand that, that, that arts and culture are simply the poetry of life as mm. well, that we don't see, right? Or that we can't see within us. So I think it's hugely important. And I think arts and culture enable us to have a bit of fantasy in the world. I think as a kid, I used to love stories, being read stories. I didn't used to read so much when I was a, when I was a kid because it wasn't encouraged in our, in our household. I didn't really have an interest, but I loved listening to stories. And, and this sense of being able to, you know, how you, when you hear stories, you suddenly as a kid, imagine yourself in that, in that, in that place. And it, it's a wonderful sense of departure from, from the, the real life into something that you can explore in your imagination. And I think arts and culture simply provide that sense of imagination and a sense of imagination that we need in our lives because of the, this ongoing directional movement towards power, towards money, towards deadlines towards growing making the shareholders happy maybe what would make the shareholders more happy is if we, we if we embrace the arts and culture more in our lives or or, or uh, understand that reading a newspaper is being privy to some great arts and culture the skill of journalism the skill of writing stories right mm -hmm. i think people don't don't realize that sometimes that we're surrounded by arts and culture right you know, the buildings that we see around us, they can inspire great happiness or they can inspire great outrage, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Anand de Botton wrote this great book, The Architecture of Happiness, uh, about how buildings can affect our lives. Mm -hmm. and, and, and they can. And, you know, uh, watching, a, looking at a building that's beautiful, it, it's a great work of art. Mm -hmm. And then watching a building that just sits in our city that has destroyed our lives can be just awful 
just like a dagger in the heart of of a landscape right it it really affects us more than we than we give it credit for i'd say mm. so arts and culture is extremely important and um i applaud you for doing what you do <laughs> and you go ahead and you 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 be a journalist and bring in all that soul that you can into your work thank you so much again smooth <laughs> okay i was looking at the questions that we that we wrote down right now i'm just going to open up the floor since we have another 30 minutes so Ayano, you can ask any questions you want to, including the one you wrote down, the, the last question, as well as Kaori. And you guys can think if you want to. Um, and I can always ask questions because when you were speaking, I, I've already like listed down more and more questions. So if I go on speaking, it's going to be hours and hours and you're going to miss lunch. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to forego lunch. Don't worry. <laughs> you're asking one question. then. Didn't? Me? Oh. Um, yeah. So, Jason, can you maybe tell us one thing that you did for a coachee or a mentee that you didn't expect that could have touched his or her heart or even touched your own heart or something that you didn't expect that you've done for someone? It's a very good question. And I think what, what immediately came to my mind was to listen. I think don't underestimate the power of listening. Uh, there's one thing I've learned as being a conductor is if we don't listen, I always, I always say to musicians, if you don't listen, it's like, it's like, if you, it's like getting in a car and closing your eyes and driving. You, mm -hmm. you simply cannot drive well unless you observe and you can't be a musician unless you listen. And I think one of the things, one of the profound things I've learned about being a mentor and being a coach is the art of listening. And I think for, I know for a lot of co coaches, a lot of clients, they simply have never been listened to. And the act of being listened to moves them deeply. Mm -hmm. And when I feel heard, I feel moved as well. So I think the, the, the simple, what, what seemingly is a simple act is could actually heal the world, just listening to, to someone, right? Mm -hmm. Without preparing your answer while listening, without preparing a response, without, without knowing what you're going to say. I remember when, when we first were taught how to be, co to, to be good coaches and how to be a, a good coach and a good conductor can only be taught so much then you have to bring some of your own soul to that job. Mm -hmm. you, you can't simply learn something by reading a book or being told what to do and then just using that, those things. You, there's, it's, it's like arts and culture. You have to fill in all those gaps and make it your own. And, and one of the things um, that, that I learned is that sometimes there is nothing to say and all you can do is listen and hold the space for someone as they pour out their life story to you or how, how awful something is for them or how wonderful something is for them. I think, I think it's harder when someone tells you something that they've, that is very, very, very difficult for them mm -hmm. and they haven't told anyone else. Mm 
and the more the more you can just hold that space for them just to say what they need to say and listen is a huge thing so i think in answer to your question it's it's some it's just listening mm -hmm. i think is an incredible thing to do mm. and it also brings up the the value of being vulnerable i think yes exactly about. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it, about being vulnerable to to uh, being allowing your allowing the person who's who you're listening to to be vulnerable but allowing yourself to be vulnerable as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah like during there uh during this interview you talked about like an openness like an yeah. open-minded thing and also listening so like i feel like you always have an attitude to accept someone or like um or any opinions in someone but so it's kind of related to that issue uh i want to ask about the trust building things that yep. i wrote it down here um the pdf because uh as a conductor as a mentor like you always need to build their uh trust between you know the orchestra and also like mentors uh, mentees so is there anything that you always keep in mind to build their trust with uh with people it's a beautiful question because it segues into what we've just been talking about, which is listening. Mm -hmm. I think uh, when an orchestra feels like it's being listened to, not just by the audience, but by the person who's leading, they feel empowered. They feel that this person, this conductor, is trying to help them and trying to guide them and not getting in their way because we're professionals and we understand how to play our instruments. All we need now someone is to inspire us, not to tell us what to do. Mm. And I think that's um, a key aspect of building trust as a conductor is to listen. Sometimes as in, in the world, you can't please everyone. And an orchestra is, is just the same. It's a microcosm of, of the world. It, it, it's kind of an intent. It's a, a boiled down version of what happens in the world. Some musicians will request that you do something. Um, other requests, other musicians will, will request the opposite. You simply cannot please everyone. And at the end of the day, if you're in a position of leadership, you have to make a decision. And that decision lies with you. You're paid to do the job and you've been told or you feel that you can do the job well, so you must make a decision on that. And you can't please everyone, but the minimum you can do is listen. And listen with an open heart, listen with curiosity uh, and with authenticity. Not just, yeah, 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 I'll listen to you, I'll listen to you, when actually you don't wanna hear that. I've not always been able to listen. In the past, I've, uh, I've been, I fought back against what people have told me, have said to mm -hmm. me. Um, I'm not perfect by any means. And I hold my hand up to that, but I've learned from those, those times in which I fought back because those times in which I fought back usually are, are when my ego and my narcissism have been activated. Basically, that's what it is. You begin to become I, me, my gets in the way. And something that Buddhism teaches you um, that I've learned is that um, you need to see the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. 
And only when you can see the truth and the reality of the situation, can you actually see what's going on and what really is there. And in the past, I haven't always, or I refused to see the reality of the situation, or I haven't been able to see the reality of the situation. Yeah. So it's about, it's about being, giving that sense of, of really understanding what's, what's there and what's happening. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? I think it's a long winded way of answering your question. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. For answering. Yeah. Any, you guys have any, any other yeah, questions? Any questions? I'm really okay to go beyond uh, 1230. I'm seriously, I'm, it's fine. I'm not hungry. I've had <laughs> breakfast, so don't worry about me. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Jason, what does your average day look like these mm. days? Yeah, I don't have an average. Day. Oh, under COVID, you mean? Or do you mean just it generally? Both. You know. Well, yeah, under COVID, I've realized that um, I've had good days and bad days under lockdown and I haven't given myself a hard time about it on the days that I've just felt like sitting on my couch looking out the window pondering the world I've just let myself do that mm-hmm. I know some people who have to work from home don't have that luxury but I think what I would say is if you're having a if you're having a day in which you just feel down just let the let the downness be there I think there's a danger that we 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 force we push it away all the time and I've noticed that um, uh, I'm one of those people that actually like freedom in life, just have a sense of doing what, what needs to be done or, or getting things done. If I know I have deadlines, I'll do things. But just to kind of what, what, what kind of like feeds the soul. Um, but I've noticed that some days I really need a bit more um, structure. So I kind of just lo- loosely do a, a structural day. And I write it down in a notebook. And I kind of try and try, try to keep to it. And it could be an hour of work, an hour of reading, an hour of off time, and, then, and repeat the cycle. And then building in time for meditation and stuff like that. So I find, um, again, this, as, in the, as in before COVID, I don't have an average day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so every day under COVID has been different. There have been days I've been tearing my hair out because I can't get my sourdough bread right. There have been days in which I've read the whole day. There have been days in which I've just taken a two hour walk and it's just really helped me. Um, and there have been days, as I've said, that I've just felt completely down and rejected and dejected. And I've just let myself feel like that. I don't have an average day. And, and before COVID, it was different because um, I like to give myself a lot of time in which just to, just, just to be, just to explore I'm not one of those people that has, has, a, has a desire or a need to fill every minute of every day. I know there are some people in the world that have that desire and need. Um, and I feel that when we are like that, we're, we're always just stuck up here all the time. And I, I need, personally need time to just, just to have some space to deepen and just to, just to feel some sense of freedom as well. Um, but because of the work I do, I have a rehearsal some days and then other days I'm out on a, on a shoot on a documentary somewhere and I've had to travel to China for a week and I'm getting up at 6 a.m., getting back to the hotel at 7 p.m. Some weeks are very, very quiet and, and, it, and I'm able to read and reflect. So I don't, I don't really have an average day and I'm very, very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I'm extremely grateful for that because a lot of people say to me that they the only reason why they're in their job is because they have to pay the mortgage and they have to look after their family, which is absolutely necessary because we need to make money to, you know, to do those things. 
and I, I can earn a living and have this sense of freedom. And I'm, I'm so very, very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us can have that if we want it, but we have to, um, we have to make concessions. We have, we can't have everything we want in life. Mm. So something has to give. Yeah. Yeah. I feel exactly the same <laughs> here. Mm. Like I graduated um, in March this year and then my grad school only starts in September. So I'm enjoying the freedom at home and yeah. just discovering myself and I'm doing this thing to connect with people and be inspired hopefully to inspire others as well. I mean, how, how have you all coped under lockdown? Have you, have well, you found it very difficult, very easy mixture? Um, in the beginning, I would say it was difficult because I had to change my plans for the next two years, which was, which I, which was something I was planning for almost three years, I guess. So it was a bit difficult, but at the same time, I'm, I gradually realized the value of being at home with my family, which I can't do normally. And I, in the past four years of college, I was always, you know, running around being busy and I never appreciated the time being at home. And so it's really so great that all of us can stay together and, uh, you know, I have no reason to worry about my financial situation with in my parents' home, fortunately. So, um, yeah, I think I'm low-key hoping this would go on to next, like, three or four months. But I think, yeah, so I've overcome, I would say. Great. Like, how, about, how about you, Gino Ayano? How have you coped under lockdown? Well, uh, I'm also kind of similar situation in, oh, at Kaoli. Uh, it, because I also waiting for my grad school starts. And so I'm staying um, with my family and then working from my uh, my home. So yeah, and then as Kaoli said before, I also, darling, uh, during the college drive, I also flying alone and then, <laughs> yeah. So I felt very strange for, for the first time, like because, you know, I cannot talk with my friend in person I cannot work with my friends and also, yeah, I just need to stay in my home. But I see myself struggling with the situation. It, it was a very interesting for me because um, I didn't realize that I feel the difficulty just to stay in my home. So I just keep thinking about what, what's the problem, what's the cause to make me feel like this? And then those kind of things help me reflect myself. So, yeah, it was a very tough time for me, but I think it helped me to understand myself more before uh, going to the next step. I mean, the grad school. And then also, since we have this kind of situation, I could start this the latest Asia with Kaoli and Dean. So it was a very, very um, important a time for me yeah amazing it's given birth to this so <laughs> Asia Leeds, which is fantastic right so yeah yeah and also through this uh least Asia I could see a lot of new people so yeah I just felt the power of 
uh, platform and also power uh, working with people even we could not see each other in person. I think this is going to be a new normal and also this kind of connection will change the next um, future, I mean, like, you know, next world, I mean, the future world. So, yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. One thing I um, was, I was forgetting to say about this time that um, was that, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same in UK or in Singapore or Malaysia, but um, in Japan, when you, once you're out of the undergraduate school, you are almost forced to start their jobs in, immediately. So all of our classmates are already working. Right. One of the, like some of the big, biggest companies in the world and stuff. And they, um, <laughs> I don't know, like, I personally feel that whenever they ask me how I'm doing under this time, and when I ask myself like what I'm doing, um, just staying at home, um, sitting with my laptop, doing something all day, making no money, like I feel as if they are um, criticizing me, although they're not. But um, listening to your stories today really inspired me. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing this again. No, it's a pleasure. And thank you so much for, for asking me, but and sure, also sharing stories like you've just shared, because it, it is difficult, but, but you mustn't forget that we're all, we all have different ways of, we all have different paths in life. There's no, there's no set path and there's no way of, it's a cliche, but it's kind of true because we're, we're all individual, we're all unique. We can all pull together for, for common good you know, your, your individual soul is very different to the other people in the, your friends and they've chosen to do, to be in corporate life and to do that way. And you, you've chosen not to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's compounded the fact that, that we all feel, especially those, those in the arts are, are feeling useless because we, we, we're not able to share, uh, what, what we, we think we're not able to share what we feel and what we're going through, but we can, as a journalist, you can, as a musician, you, we can, we can recall performances. So there are, there are many outlets for our creativity under lockdown, but there's also that feeling in, in many of us that, that we feel a little bit useless and a, a bit imprisoned in our own homes. And it's okay to feel like that because that's a natural part of, you know, what we're going through. I mean, I'm only, I'm again, I'm very grateful for the fact that we're only being asked to stay at home. We're not being asked to go and fight a war. We're not, we're not being asked to, 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 you know, to leave our families and homes. We're actually just being asked to stay at home with our families. Mm. And I know that's difficult for some. And, 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 you know, I, I'm actually here alone. So I'm in isolation, isolation. But I found it very beneficial to reach out to family, to reach out to friends and to reach out to community through these like this. And it's been really wonderful. I've been able to talk to my, my, my dad and my, my brother and sister, my nephews and nieces. I've been able to, to have my online birthday on Zoom with friends. It was really wonderful. And I've been able to do things like this for community to be able to share stuff. So I think it's important that we we don't we, we we don't forget that we we have these ways of of reaching out mm-hmm.
Jin, what about you? How have you been under lockdown? <laughs> um, well, in the beginning, I was a little bit disappointed because I made so many plans for this year. Like in January, I, I wrote a blog post stating like almost every month I'll be traveling to a place. Like in April, I'm supposed to go to Yunnan because I was leading a North American group of people to the tea farms in China. Right. And that got canceled. And later on, I found out that all my trips to Ladakh that we've already collected participants um, were all canceled as well, suspended. We had to return all the deposit and everything. So, you know, after graduating from university in 2018, the fall, I've been um, taking off like a gap year or so working on this startup um, that promotes geotourism, tourism that um, helps the culture, the local um, people. And this year is supposed to be the, to be the year that we sort of like, you know, move up and take flight, but everything got suspended for the moment. But, you know, I guess very much uh, in the same way inspired by Buddhist values and, and philosophies, I tend or try to see things from a very non-dual perspective that, you know, there's nothing good or bad or inherently good or bad about the situation. And it's more of how we make the best use out of our time yeah. um, from day to day. And yeah. so as a, as a yogi, and I think that helped as well because I wake up with a routine of, you know, every morning I do either yoga or martial arts by myself. And now back at home, I mean, it made me realize that, you know, my, my mom has aged while I'm away um, during my four years of education in Japan. And it's really a good time to, to really spend time with her and my, my dad. And every morning now, Sometimes I do Qigong with her together. We've also taken like an online course on, on Qigong. And um, I'm also using my extra time to work on my podcast, um, the Echo Flow podcast. So hence, actually... Hence the, hence the fancy microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is like the best, the best um, investment I made right before the lockdown because I, I was... Um, searching online and like doing research on what to buy and I spent some money getting this mic this um, interface and during this lockdown it became really so useful in all those zoom meetings and, and the podcasting and so I was thinking maybe um, if we're not gonna you know launch this video on the Leeds Asia um, Facebook page I might launch it in my podcast and yeah what else have I been doing um, writing, reading. I just finished reading this really wonderful book. I think you might enjoy it um, immensely. It's uh, Musashi by Eiji Yoshikawa. Can you spell? Um, can you spell that for yeah, me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Musashi. So M U. Yeah. S A. S H I. Uh huh. So it's about a samurai, the, probably the most famous samurai in Japanese history, right. who was trying to find his. Um, his place on in this world and through Zen and, and the art of sword. And he's someone who, who very much, you know, agree with everything you said a while ago about, you know, learning everything and connecting them, integrating them in order to um, help you in, in one skill. So one skill relates to another skill and they're all interconnected. You know, and this book is, is thick. It's like a thousand page, but wow. <laughs> I just got so hooked in. I finished it in two weeks. 
Oh. Is it a biography of his life or is, is it it's a kind of like, yeah, okay. It's a, it's a biography written about Musashi by um, another author. Right. So it's, a, it's partially legendary, but most of it is also inspired by facts from, from the past. Wonderful. Yeah. So I've been reading. I've been, uh, now that the lockdown has been eased, I've been meeting friends, going back to see my sensei and learning um, Shaolin martial arts. Nice. In the morning. Yeah. So it's been quite fulfilling, even though, um, even though all my initial plans were, were just scrapped. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you because I've had can- concerts cancelled and stuff. But you know what? Um, I'd I'd give anything to have five minutes with my mum. So it's great to for you to be able to have to have your parents there and just to to be able to interact with them and spend time with them. Really mm-hmm. fantastic. And I think in in answer to your the geo tourism thing, I think one can also be grateful for the fact that nature has has um, rewilded since we've kept out of its way. Yeah, and that we've we've seen habitats come back, and we've seen creatures and animals come back in their droves. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. looking for food that humans would have given them, so maybe we've spoiled them in the past. But but at least they've come back, and and you know we we're actually seeing them take back the space in which we've taken from them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really wonderful. Yeah, and but one of the things that I'm a bit worried of is that you know humans as a collective we actually learn things pretty slow. We do. And, and we forget things all the time. Yeah, and we forget things. So, you know, after this COVID ends, I'm sure most people just go back to their lives, you know, driving I cars. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm, that really fills me with, with where, it, yeah, it, it, yeah it's, not, it's not a great thing, is it? But I think you're right. I think we tend to, that's why we find ourselves in this situation, mm-hmm. that we forget history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we forget why Black Lives Matter because we we conveniently forget four hundred years. Yeah, mm-hmm. we forget why yeah. freedom matters mm-hmm. because you know, and that's why it's important, I think, for people from especially for your generation to to remember and help us remember the older folk. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's one thing that I heard on a podcast, uh, Living Myth, by Michael Mead, a wonderful podcast about mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, he says that in the world, there are a lot of old people, but we don't have enough elders. So elders that are imbued with wisdom. So we have a lot of people who are old, who have no wisdom, certain leaders of certain countries. Um, for example. Um, and so there's no, there, it's not surprising that the youth have, are enraged by the lack of, so this is what Michael Mead says, and I agree with him to a certain extent, that this is why young people have, have voiced their concern through protest, through their anger, because mm-hmm. the old people have let them down. And so therefore they need to take control and they need to guide the older people. And hopefully that they can seek some wisdom from the elders on their quest to uh, bring back um, what's important in life. So I think that's, that was a wonderful podcast to hear 
and I, I really loved that idea of, of how, um, in a way that we failed you, the older generation, people older than myself have failed you. So it's therefore you need to, to make sure that um, you heal the world. I found that pretty inspiring. Do you remember what podcast was it? It was, it was called Living Myth, Living Myth by Michael Mead, M-E-A-D-E. And I, I, the episode, gosh, you'll have to, I'll have to get back to you about exactly what episode it was. Um, but do you, can you see it? Can you find it? Living Myth by Michael Mead, M-E-A-D-E. Is, is it called? Let me just check that I've got that right. Okay. Yeah. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Living Myth. Yeah. Really great podcast that, that has Michael Mead, who, who um, has always been inspired from an early age by myths, by mythology. Mm-hmm. Not by myths, falsehoods, but by mythology, by stories that have told, that have transcended time. So the stories of Ulysses or Ulysses' son meeting mentor, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find them truly exp- inspiring. Yeah. So if you have time, <laughs> listen to one or two of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Just to make this kind of fun to sort of end this, I, I guess. Yeah. Maybe we can ask you some just fire questions. Yeah, sure. Well, what's your favorite book? Oh, uh, <laughs> there are so many. Oh, gosh. I can't think of my mind's gone blank. Uh, not, well, usually I read nonfiction. Okay. I don't really tend to read much fiction because I think I, I enjoy, for, at this moment in time, I'm reading nonfiction. I enjoy stories, but I read a lot of online stories and stuff. But uh, gosh. Uh, I don't have, it's really hard. It's like someone asking me what my favorite piece of music is. At the <laughs> moment, I can tell you what I'm reading at the moment. I'm reading one book by Michael Mead, which is called Awakening the Soul, and another book by Thomas More uh, called um, Oh, The Dark Nights, Dark Nights of the Soul. Dark Nights of the Soul, as in N-I-G-H-T-S. Mm. Um, Awakening the Soul, uh, Michael Mead talks about how in this world, which seems to uh, feel like it's coming apart at the seams, you know, in terms of ecologically, climate-wise, politically, um, only when we all awaken our souls can we actually contribute and heal to the world. I find that really lovely um, to kind of explore that idea. And then Dark Nights of the Soul pretty, is pretty much, I think, about shadow work. Thomas More is, is a psychotherapist, also a former priest. Um, mm. And he's used, he's, he, he, he does psychotherapy from a very different angle. He talks about, um, he brings into all kinds of things, the soul, the myths, imagination. He's not one of those people that says that, you know, because you were, you, you were treated like this in your childhood, that's why you're like this. So you need Prozac. He doesn't do that. He tries mm-hmm. to get you out of, out of that and into exploring what the possibility of your story could be and how it can help you see in life. So Dark Nights of the Soul are, are really looking at the, what we call the shadow elements of your life, the, the bits that we don't want to talk about, the, the bits that we try to hide. Mm-hmm. And in fact, as a coach, shadow work is really important because the, the darker parts of one life actually tell you more about your life and about you than mm-hmm. the happy bits yeah so um it's a very interesting book so although i can't pinpoint exactly one book uh those two books are the my favorite book is the one i'm reading 
Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's short. Yeah. Anyway, quick fire questions carrying on. Sorry. <laughs> okay, um, then um, how about movie? <laughs> oh, Forrest Gump. Oh, I really like it. Yeah. I love Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and, and someone asked me, why, why do you feel that you love Forrest Gump? And I think it's because I see myself in this, in this character that just seems to just drift in life and just somehow in his simplicity finds, <laughs> finds the peace. And I, actually, uh, the idea that he, he spends a lifetime in love with, with this person that seems to just push him away and eventually um, he, finds, he finds joy with her but then she's taken away. There's something that's something that resonates with me about that. I don't know what it is, but it's interesting. Films actually a good, a good way into your psyche about how you feel about life, mm-hmm. what you're looking for in life or how you experience life. Yeah. So in fact, I'm a big Tom Hanks fan because I like Castaway as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many languages do you speak? I speak English. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> I speak Cantonese not so well, and um, so my, my Mandarin, I'm just starting to learn that. And I speak like one or two lines in French, and that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty not so good at languages. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to kind of change my mindset about learning languages, trying to be open to um, how to learn languages and what's, what's the quickest way to to ingest so at the moment i'm using this online thing called yo-yo chinese with this lady called yang yang and she's (laughs) she's really delightful in the way she presents bite-sized lessons uh and i love that and it's it's helped me learn quicker i it might not be the quickest question but um i was gonna say um what was the biggest challenge in your life and then how you overcame yeah well, I think the biggest challenge in my life was letting go of mum. Mm. It's. I think I'm still grieving. I'm still. I'm still very much grieving. It's, it will be two years on the 14th of July, and I think it was tough um, because of many things. Because of of the fact that it came out of the blue. She was well, then she wasn't well, and then she died. So that was really tough. It was tough because we all had to make decisions on her behalf. And it's so frightening because you don't know how to help someone who actually is in physical pain. She had pancreatic cancer, which is the most painful of, of the cancers. And it's, the, it's a cancer that you can't tell. It's very, when, by the time you've diagnosed it, it's too late. So by the time if she was diagnosed, she was already stage four metastasized. Mm. So it was heartbreaking for all of us. And I think that was the toughest thing I've ever had to come across, had to go through. Um, and it still makes me feel emotional. I'm feeling emotional now as I talk to you about it. But it's something that, of course, that we all, we all know that when we're born, we will die at some point. Mm. And yet we were all terrified of it. Um, I, I, I was watching some videos about why people became Buddhists and one person, an ambulance, a person who worked as a... Uh, you know, the, the people that drive the ambulance and work in the ambulance and, and are nurses. Um, he said, sorry, she said that um, she saw the immense suffering of people in the ambulance and how they were just terrified of dying. 
and she didn't want to be in that position so she wanted to prepare herself for death and you can think about that in a morbid way but it's not meant to be like that i think as buddhists if you can prepare yourself for death the time of death will be just very tranquil and so um my mum handled it with great tranquility with great integrity and with great honor but um it was really hard for the whole family to go through so i think that's the hardest thing that i've ever experienced and i think it i think it will be hard for, i think it's hard for everyone to experience that mm. but my god it really teaches you some lessons about life and about death so it's a kind of rite of passage i think losing your parents or losing a parent is a rite of passage and it's a rite of passage that you need to go through and you need to experience because it will give you perspective Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Or losing losing anyone actually your your family yeah yeah, yeah. You know, speaking about death I was also relating to myself um, that during my first year in university my my grandma who's very close to me passed away and I just came to Japan um, for a month so I couldn't go back to Malaysia to attend her funeral right. but I mean she passed away in a very peaceful way so that gives me a little bit of um, comfort even though I wasn't there but um, later on my uncle also passed away when I was um, oh that was even earlier but which had a really huge impact on me because he died of a heart attack which was quite sudden and last year I came upon this book it's called um, speaking about favorite books as well besides Musashi um, this book is The Five Invitations um, by Frank Ostasaski and yeah, discovering what mm-hmm, discovering what death can teach us about living fully. Yeah, and I think re- just reading that book alone gives me a lot of closure, um, because Frank has helped thousands of people um, die. Um, he's a what do you call that? Um, hospice. Um, yes, he yeah. works in the hospice. In yeah, the there's hospice, a name for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, in the U.S. and yeah, I was really touched when I read that book and. Also, I, I began to reflect, you know, on my, my own parents. How can I face their death? You know, I think facing my own death is, is actually not as difficult as facing the death of your closest people. Right, right. Yeah, as well. I agree. Mm-hmm. Especially the mother who, who literally you sprang forth from. You know, if you're talking about it, um, in a soulful way, in, in, a, in a poetic way, mm-hmm. it's, it's like... Um, I said to someone, it was like, it felt like you have to cut, cut the umbilical cord to, you know, enter into the world. And then when your mother dies, it's, it's like cutting a spiritual umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. And so, so you, you have to do it twice in a way. And it, the second one is much harder because you, you're not even aware of the first one. Yeah. 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 And, and just knowing death itself just really helps us to appreciate the time we have with people or yes. life like that you guys. Yes, exactly. It pre- helps us appreciate life. I, I think I heard a beautiful story. I'm not sure if it was this this Frank guy, but uh, one of these one of these people who who specialise in helping people just in their final moments pass away. He said that he was this person. I forget his name. He was person. He was in. I think it was New York, and he was with this very cranky old lady, who all her life had fought for for rights, um, for, for for you know for female rights and for all kinds of causes. So she was a real fighter and um, 
she was finding it trouble to sleep and she was getting, she was very, you know, in the last stages of her life. And um, she just asked, you know, can you help me? And he talked to her. And at one stage she was just really struggling. And he just said to her, why don't you, if you can just really, really um, sense into your breath, really breathe in deeply and then really breathe out. And as she did that, um, the spaces between the breaths became longer and she just, and then she gently passed away. And I kind of love that idea that, that going back to the breath, the thing that brings you life can also help you end your life in a very, very calm way. And I love that poetry, that sense of, 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 of meeting, of going from the beginning, going right to the end. Yeah. So that was very touching. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of things that we can read that, that can actually touch us in this way in these hard these difficult times where would you go like once this pandemic is over good question i was uh, usually my summer holidays because you know i I teach i have a position at the nus the conservatory which is part of national university of singapore Mm -hmm. and usually the holiday period i travel so i had envisaged traveling to indeed japan because i love japan and also uk um so when when if if there's no trouble with um spending the 14 day thing i'd like to go to uk because my dad is there at the moment and my brother and sister there so i'd like to kind of spend some time with my family that would be really nice if if that was possible but it's difficult because at the moment with singapore when we if we if you choose to leave you have to come back and stay in a hotel mm-hmm. of the government's choosing and you have to pay for it uh, and so you can't, I couldn't come back to the flat and do my 14 day thing. So that takes two weeks out of work for me. So it's difficult. Yeah. But I dearly love to go back to UK to see the family. Besides leaving myth, what other podcasts do you listen to? I listen to, it's actually, I'm actually a recent convert to podcasts. So I listen to a lot of, um, uh, Tish Nicht Han, the, 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 the monk, he has, um, there's, there's a channel which he gives his, his, um, teachings i love that mm-hmm. um and there's a there's a movie there's a movie review uh podcast that i like to listen to uh, i like to listen to ted talk hour so it's a culmination of they they put together they bring together ted talks that are, that are themed for the hour i love that and i learn so much from hearing all these speakers on, on a range of topics that constantly have me going, wow, I didn't know that. So then I go away and I'm curious and, and find out more about it. Yeah. It's really interesting. So those are the main ones I listen to. Yeah. I tend to keep to the same things in terms of things that I get comfortable with and want to, um, to listen more of. And then, then I'll just feel that I like to try something else. So I like to give something time. I'm not one of these people that hop on chip, 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 I like to give something time. And then when I feel that I'm done with it, then I kind of go on to a different way of curiosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Ladies? <laughs> <laughs> Great questions. Thank you. I mean, it's been, it also gets me to think about, although I have had notes written, a few notes written down, I've actually thought a lot beyond the notes, which is really lovely to be able to do. Exercises the brain <laughs> and the heart. <laughs> yeah before we close up you can also ask us anything if there's yeah i mean what what led you to lead asia lead uh, asia gosh so uh i think two of us Ayano and i came up with this idea to do something 
during this time of closure. And we also have like a gap semester before starting the grad school. And then we were just having a little chat and then we both agreed about this idea. And I was like alone going to do like a media platform in which I can like experiment the, some of the constructive journalism's um, methods. And then I shared it with her and she agreed with me on this idea. And um, she somehow um, wrote many more ideas to this project and we developed also with the Baishen um, PR team, right? And then yeah, we yeah. made a presentation right. <laughs> and the paper. And then, yeah, recruited some of my favorite friends uh, who I admire the most, including Jin. And then, yeah, thankfully we have almost like 15 members now. Great. Uh, yeah. It's I, hope it, I hope it grows, continues to grow. Yeah, thank you. I think I think it's a great idea, and I think it, any any forum for for discussion and sharing ideas, I think is wonderful, really wonderful. Yeah, like during this COVID nineteen, I just felt um, helplessness because many people are trying to help like patients, like in the medic in in hospitals, they're in a, in the on the front line. And then, but like uh, when I see myself, I'm always staying my home and it's very safe. And then I just start, start thinking about what's my body in this world and then what can I do? And then, yeah, as a young agent, um, you know, when I see that um, a lot of news about COVID-19, like those kind of things, like those kind of what media said, it's very important, but at the same time, those uh, which they report always make uh, made us feel very negative. And I know that like we are facing a very difficult time and also uh, there were so many people in the front line and trying to handle the situations. So I just started thinking about what can I do and how can I go through this helplessness, this sense of helplessness. And then that is why, like, I start thinking about, um, I start making a list for what I can do. And then, for example, I was saying that, like, if maybe for, uh, we can sell their t-shirts or something, like, for the first time, I sent to, like, a cowley, but, like, those kind of things. So <laughs> I just try to uh, find a way to contribute to this parties by our, like, in our way. I don't know whether or not we can make their um, impact in societies, but I really wanted to do something. Yeah, because you know we're we have a time, we have a passion, we have a um, even we do not have the money, we we can work. So yeah, that is why like I talked about you know my feelings with Kauli, and then we started. So I really appreciate that like Kauli. Um, talked about this constructive journalism things and also like um, the idea of this. So it's a wonderful, the way that you've used, you've used something that we're all going through this difficulty into something that's been creative. And as, and as creative people, I think that's important for us to be able to create. And this is what you've created. I think that's really beautiful. It's really wonderful. It's a gift to the world. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really great. Congratulations. And I hope that you'll continue to use it 
you know, use it in a positive and good way. Thank you so much. Thank you. And it's lovely that you've taken what you've learned from Baishan, mm-hmm. the team and Rona, and, and, and just kind of, it's that it's, you know, it's, I'm sure they're deeply proud of what you, what you're doing and what you've done. And it's, it's great for them to see. I mean, I, I always think I love Baishan because I always feel that the team really think of you all as, as literally to their children. And they, they really want to help you and look after you mm-hmm. and uh, help you grow in the world. And I think that's really beautiful. And I think it's, I think you're, what you're doing now is, is saying, yes, we've grown and, and look what we can do and look how we want to help. And I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I applaud you for this. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I think it's a very beautiful way to, to end this with your message. Yeah. Thank um, you. Been a pleasure to speak to you all. (laughs) I'm sure we have other questions to ask, but they will leave us for future. um, Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do this again. Just let me know how I can help. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm sure all all the members of the Baishan team are happy to to do this or recommend people that can that can help you as well. Yeah. Mm. So I guess we should wrap it up here. And thank you so much for inviting Jason, Kaori, and Ayano, as well as Jason, thank you for taking your time and effort to join us today. It's uh, close to two hours that we... Well, it's flown by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's flown by. <laughs> yeah, great. I was having fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, I was really touched by, by what you shared, and I hope we get to meet you in person after the end of COVID-19. Yeah, that would be really great. Um, I don't know where you'll all be, <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I don't go so much to Malaysia, um, but I'm beginning to, but I, I, I do spend a lot of time. I tried to spend a lot of time in, in, in Japan. So mm. yeah, but there's more excuse to come to Malaysia. Where, where do you all travel to? Or you'll, you'll all be different parts of the world anyway, right? So I am actually in Penang right now, but oh, beautiful will, part of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I will yeah. go back to China, Beijing to work probably from the end of this year. Right. But I do travel back to Japan quite a lot because it's been my second home in my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, it's in my heart as well. <laughs> but I haven't explored Malaysia enough. And I'd like to explore China more. Mm-hmm. Um, China is a very complicated country. And I think people's reactions to it is also very complicated. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to try to understand more about what's going on. Mm-hmm. In, in the world about those things because all, all we can do is educate ourselves mm-hmm. you know on one hand people are berating us for not saying black lives matter and then someone's saying um berating for someone for saying all lives matter and so it's, you can get kind of lost in well what what should i think what do i need to think i think all we can do is educate ourselves in all of this mm-hmm. you know our question is how do you feel about the protests in hong kong it's difficult because I, I don't believe in violent protest. Mm-hmm. But when you see violence from both sides, both from, from a certain portion of the protesters and then a certain portion of the police, it's heartbreaking. Mm. It's really heartbreaking. And it, and it comes back to this lesson of karma, right? Um, how, you know, cause and effect and how, how, uh, how this can affect lives, your life and other people's lives. Hey, we're getting heavy again. Sorry to, <laughs> but uh, it's just interesting talking through these things with, with, with you guys. So yeah, anyway, another time. Okay. Yeah. 
Great. Thank you very much. Thanks.